Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Do the Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. It's Christmas. <laughs> I was going to shout is. it like Noddy Holder, but I thought that might be a bit much. And probably cause us to owe him some sort of royalty. Yeah. So um, it, it's a festive holiday. We could yell that. That's that's different enough. Isn't that the whole thing with copyright? You I think, have to change it just enough. Yeah, I also think that's a more inclusive thing that, you know, you don't penalise listeners who are of other faiths or, uh, you know, atheists. Um, so I'm like, happy festive period of time. <laughs> Welcome to the end of December. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not quite New Year. Um, we're, we're getting there. We'll find a way of in- integrating everybody. Yeah, we're not selling um, it at the moment, are we? Not really. <clears throat> but anyway, if you do celebrate Christmas, happy Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, well, I hope you have a happy Christmas time anyway, because even though you don't celebrate it, it's still happening. Yeah. It's like gravity. You can't ignore it. It's that's, there. that's it. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't really believe in calories, but apparently I have to eat so many every day to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been told I eat too many. Um, so. <laughs> oh, James. So this is this is particularly special because and I'm just going to let everybody know what's going on. Uh, James and I haven't rehearsed anything for this special. I've been ill with flu for the past week and you can probably still hear it in my voice. I've got a bad throat as well. Um I've been an absolute flake. So James and I usually record this episode way in advance, like beginning of December, and we hash it out and we figure out what we're going to talk about, and then we we agree on a certain thing. This is like behind the scenes shit here, isn't it, James? Like yeah. letting people yeah, in behind we're, the we're, curtain, letting people behind the curtain. Yeah, um, please ignore <laughs> the two idiots behind the curtain, and, and uh, hopefully yeah. sit back and enjoy yourself. <laughs> behind the curtain is usually me explaining something about Star Wars, and someone's <laughs> dropped something on the floor. Nothing's all organized but no we do try and put a bit of effort in and this year i said to james i don't think we're gonna be able to do a christmas special so it was like ah oh, humbug um but no we're gonna do one we're doing it now we're gonna do one this is it you, listeners you're joining us on some sort of figurative queue to go to pandora to buy the gift we forgot to get that's it we are the pandora queue of yeah. Christmas special episodes. And I think we're recording this on the 22nd of December. Uh, so this might not even go out until after Christmas, depending on the edit. Um, if yeah. we're really good, it might go out on Christmas Day. Yay! Hey, if you're listening to us on Christmas Day, wait, one, why aren't you with your family? But two, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. That's it, isn't it? Like, we always do a Christmas special for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But how many yeah. people are actually listening to us on Christmas Day? Because, my God, they must be the most boring people. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a lot on. You, you, surely you don't yeah. need us. I mean, if you do need us, you're welcome. Yeah, we're but... always here. We're always here. We're always hashing it out. We're not consistent. We haven't got much money, but we're still here. <laughs> we're still here. We're, we're your average sort of, you know, intermittent podcasters that try and do our best do you know what i'd love sometimes as well? give good opinions i'd love this idea let me talk about behind the curtain i might take some photos for the uh instagram about what what where we work so you take some photos of your setup and i'll take some of mine mine's looking particularly shit tonight because my mac's out of action so i'm using my wife's macbook air instead um i have a telescope propped up on the wall which i'm supposed to be sorting out uh, and i haven't done um, and I'm in a very small office space, which is my spare bo- my spare room essentially at home, uh, and it's just yeah. full of trinkets and books and crap, and a clothes horse with the whites on it, which Natalie has cleaned Brilliant. and put in the office with me. <laughs> 
Maybe that's not one for the gram, Jake. But no, it's not. I, I like. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, no, I'm I'm in a in, in a similar state of disarray. Um, I have all my Christmas presents. If any, anyone's still you know buying stuff, I'm sorry, I'm you know shaming you, but I, I'm I'm all set. Except they're not. Wrapped. <laughs> You're fine, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, they're not wrapped though, unless you count. And Amazon boxes as wrapping paper. I was kind of planning on just handing them out and asking people to ignore my address. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you just rip. The, they have the like the cardboard ribbon thing, don't they? That you can just rip off. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exciting, exciting, isn't it? I think it so. Makes a, it, it makes a loud noise. Everyone yeah. goes who? Um, yeah. So we, we're we're mostly set for Christmas. Good. Uh, in in the Warner family household, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm. Enjoying this sort of freeform version of our podcast because we'll get to talk about little bits and pieces. Uh, for anyone expecting like a detailed, in-depth guide to a film today, you might be disappointed. <laughs> no, no, let me correct you there. You will be disappointed. Um, this is it though, because I, I always and people that know me and know James know this only anyway, but. I genuinely enjoy talking to James. Uh, I hope it's reciprocated. But we do nothing but talk rubbish about films. And usually it's about films we've watched, films we don't like, things we've seen on the internet that we find funny. We both love the parodies of movies. Um, In the spirit of that, James, I have done a little bit of a parody in a way where I was curious. So I'll tell you the story of the origin of this. Me and my wife watched Home Alone the other day. Um, together while we were both ill and um, I've seen it many many times as I'm sure many Christmas movie lovers have seen it Um, in In Home Alone I couldn't help there's there's a scene in Paris when obviously all the other family that haven't left Kevin the family that have left Kevin at home are in Paris and they're in a hotel Mm. room and they're watching a black and white TV and they're watching It's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart the classic Christmas movie, yeah. and fun fact, still to this day in 2022, the most highest reviewed Christmas film on IMDb. It's a classic, isn't it? Nice. Um, and in Home Alone, they're watching it, and it's in French. And it's really funny, because like, they just can't understand what they're watching, and then they're all like, oh, turn it off. <laughs> and I thought, about, I thought about it, and I thought, I said to Natalie, I thought, I wonder how many movies It's a Wonderful Life is in. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, how many other movies that aren't It's a Wonderful Life is It's a Wonderful Life in when other people are watching it in a movie? And okay. as it turns out, James, it's a fucking lot. <laughs> I bet. I've, I've narrowed it down because there's so many. I'm going to see if I can find the full list in a second. Um, but Christmas movies alone, right? So when we're talking about Christmas movies, it's the spirit of Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life features actually the film itself on a TV in Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2 as well. Um, it features in Gremlins. The mum is watching it um, while she's baking. Uh, yes. It features in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And also oh, another gosh. classic, Elmo Saves Christmas. equally good. <laughs> How weird is that, though? Like, it's like this classic black and white Jimmy Stewart film that's just in other films. It shows up. It shows up in a lot of other films as well that aren't necessarily... Christmas or holiday films, but it's it's there, it's in them. It's just I think it's interesting. That that is crazy, isn't it? That it's in, like you say, it's as famous as it is. Yeah. And because of that, I guess it's um, it, it it's become so related to Christmas that other people now effectively quote it. Yeah. Even just by putting it in their films, that's that's fun. I like that. Yeah, I love stuff like that as well. Um, 
a couple of things we were talking about recently, um, which always comes up as Christmas as well. It's just so funny. Is um, how many <laughs> people that that discern what a Christmas movie is and what a Christmas movie isn't and what a Christmas movie should be. And it's always a point of contention, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you if you want to start an argument in a room, mm. you can sort of throw this in there like some sort of verbal pipe bomb. Mm. And, and then you just leave and you let the people argue it out. Yeah, and also, like, a big thing um, is... Uh, we were talking about this before we did the podcast last week, is how many people um, <clears throat> refute the idea that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, I think... I'm trying to find the article. There was an... I think it was a Harvard... Um, film sort of reviewer or education, so you know, someone that was looking into the definition of Christmas movie and what it means to be a Christmas movie, and what they came up with essentially was that the elements of the movie have to be able to work independently of it being Christmas, um, and Christmas has to bear almost absolutely no consequence on the plot. So basically, you take a traditional film, a Christmas film. Strip it down. Mm. Take all the elements of Christmas out of the film from start to finish. Does that film function still as a Christmas movie? Ironically, when I was reading this, one of the movies that apparently does heavily um, suffer from this uh, is Home Alone. Oh. Home Alone, you can take every aspect of Christmas out of it and his family could just be going on vacation. It could be a summer vacation to Paris, right? Yeah, you take everything out of that movie that's Christmas related, and it would still work. Kevin gets left alone. Burglars try and break in. Um, obviously, you take away the Christmas elements, the trees, the baubles, all the things like Marv standing on the baubles, uh, yeah. all the beautiful lights and the and the beautiful Christmas scenery that is around, and the fact that Kevin goes to church in the evening when they're singing Christmas carols. There are a few things where you're like. Yeah, but he could have gone to church anyway, and there could have been people in the church, and he could have met the man with the shovel, and it could have just been in November. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you break it down yeah. to its ultimate parts, does Home Alone need Christmas to be a film? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It doesn't need Christmas to function. So another, no. another um, film reviewer and many other people across the world have had the same argument about Die Hard. Does Die Hard need to be set at Christmas in order to work. And the biggest argument of this is, um, if it was any other time of year, Nakatomi Plaza would likely be empty, and therefore there would be no access into it, therefore there'd be no hostages, there'd be no plot. Because the only yes. reason that the few people that are in Nakatomi are in the building is because they're having a Christmas party at the top of Nakatomi Plaza. And security is, you know, very lax, isn't it? Because it's Christmas. Yeah. And I think there's only like one security guard on duty because the others have gone home for Christmas. So there are so many things in Die Hard where you're like, oh, shit, yeah, because if it wasn't Christmas, that wouldn't have happened. And John only comes over from New York to L.A. because he wants to see Holly because it's Christmas and he wants to see his kids because they're estranged, aren't they? Yes, and there's loads yeah. of things in Die Hard where you're like, Oh, yeah. I don't know if it would. And apparently, if you stripped every element of Christmas out of it, it struggles to be plausible as a film. It doesn't really work. And in which case, if that's the case, then Die Hard is a Christmas film. I think, point proven. 
Mic drop. It's lovely, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. Because it's like I... such a hard thing uh, to, to, it's so, it's so arguable. Um, this is on the Nerdist website. I'm going to see if I can read this to you. Um, Die Hard um, is not really a Christmas movie on its own. It would still be a phenomenal movie if it changed its settings of summer, for example, but it does embrace a holiday spirit. It makes it relevant to parts of its story, and the story touches upon some major Christmas movie themes. And then other people have said, uh, absolutely not, it's an action film. And other people have then stated, as I said to you earlier, um, if the Christmas element is taken out of the film, a lot of the parts of the movie don't make a lot of sense and would have to be tweaked. Therefore, it, it is a Christmas film. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's the, the, the best way of defining it. I love it. it. And I Home Alone I, isn't. I, based on the, If you go with the same premise, Home Alone would not pass that test. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think so. I think that is a, a good sort of definitive way of, of winning that argument because I, I've had loads of nebulous things. Like Obviously, there's loads of Christmas references mm. in Die Hard, but lots of people say, well, that doesn't make it a Christmas film. It's just set at Christmas. Mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, but Die Hard is definitely more intertwined with Christmas than, say, um, Batman Returns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good which, example. Which is set at Christmas, but is most definitely not a Christmas film in, in the same way that Die Hard is. Because, like you say, Die Hard relies on it being Christmas more. So, yeah, I, I like that. That's If you if you <laughs> sat round your Christmas table having an argument with someone in your family who <laughs> is just getting on your goat, you can go, ah, ha, ha, ha. Can I read? I see your point. Can I read something else to you as well or on the subject? Oh, yes. Uh, yes. This is called the Christmas movie or not checklist. And someone's made this. It's fucking brilliant. Um, it's got Die Hard in one column and it's got the movie White Christmas in the other column. It says at the top, <laughs> I think this is great. It's so good. I'm going to send this to Chris at work. Uh, it takes place during the Christmas holidays. Die Hard. Entirely. White Christmas. First and final scene only. The setting is a, <laughs> the setting is a Christmas party. Die Hard. Entirely. White Christmas. The final scene only. The number of Christmas songs in the movie. Four. Let It Snow, Winter Wonderland, Christmas in the Hollies, and Jingle Bells. White Christmas. Only two. <laughs> <laughs> Party venue threatened by some external force. Die hard. Terrorists. White Christmas. Foreclosure. Is <laughs> 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 there a broadcaster with a hidden agenda? Die hard. Yes. Dick Thornburg. White Christmas. Johnny Grant. Is there a German ringleader? Die hard. Yes. Hans Gruber. White Christmas. Yes. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. Is there any government incompetence? Die Hard, FBI, White Christmas, Pentagon fires General Waverley. <laughs> Body count in Die Hard, 23 dead. White Christmas, 26,000, the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, God. <laughs> the last one oh, says. Dear. Um. <laughs> Uh, is there any selfless sacrifice in these movies that's upkeeping with the Christmas spirit? Die Hard. John runs barefoot over broken glass. White Christmas. <laughs> Danny K upgrades Vera Ellen's train ticket. <laughs> <laughs> it just says at the bottom, judge it for yourselves. 
brilliant. Love it. Oh, so good. So that good. Is, that is fab. Yeah. That's great. I um, I think anyone who has that argument at, at Christmas should feel confident. If you believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which I think we all agree now it is, mm. um, you should feel you know confident and comfortable in that belief. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And just watch it anyway. Even if people don't think it's a Christmas movie, it's a great movie to watch at Christmas. I mean, you could watch Die Hard of... 2, but no one cares about Die Hard 2. <laughs> no, no, no no, one really, no one's really bothered about Die Hard 2. I, uh, um, I took the liberty, James, of asking you, uh, I thought I'd bring up a couple of other films and see what your opinion was on them. Oh, yeah. Um, while we're on that subject of Christmas or Christmas not. Um, Trading Places, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Eddie Murphy. I'd say yes. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Right, yeah. and it and it it takes place at Christmas, but does Christmas have bearing on the plot? In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. I think I'm pretty much on the fence with this one. However, I do enjoy Trading Places. Um, yeah. Another one was um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Brilliant film. John Hughes. Brilliant film. Ooh, I wouldn't say Christmas, but it is brilliant. Do you know what? I think you'd be right. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is about. Um, uh, Steve Martin's character trying to get home for Thanksgiving, so it's pre-Christmas, oh, pre-Christmas, yeah. but Christmas, Christmas adjacent. But it, like but it, it. feels Christmassy because it's so cold everywhere when they're trying to get home, and he's in New York, and you know it, it starts with the with the bad weather and stuff. It feels Christmassy. It's, it's one of those films, isn't it? That because people will watch it around Christmas, yeah. it's so easily linked to it. Like right? my childhood memories of that are. Christmas time ones, yeah. but yeah. when you think about the context of the film, mm-hmm. yeah, Thanksgiving. Mm. I've got another one for you. Oh, go on. Steven Spielberg's Hook. Oh, oh, good one. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, because uh, it's snowy outside, isn't it? It's snowy outside right? in, in, yeah, in not Neverland. You know what's really England. funny about this is me and my uh, sister-in-law had the same debate today about whether or not i said i just shouted this at her i was like it's a christmas film <laughs> yeah I, I do that if anyone doesn't know who i am like if, if you work with me or if you live with me i literally just shout things at you like it's a christmas film and i expect a response <laughs> straight away <laughs> i'm gonna go yes oh, i'm gonna go yes it's a christmas film again um, it's on the fence because it's it is the reason that peter and his wife and kids go to um, Granny Wendy's house, um, played by the wonderful Maggie Smith, um, yes. is because it's Christmas and they're going over from America to see Granny Wendy for Christmas. And it is snowing in London when they arrive and it's snowing at the end as well. But like I showed you earlier, it only partially takes place at Christmas and therefore would not then fit the category. Ooh, ooh, yeah. But when yeah, the fuck no, do you I... watch Hook? I only ever see it on at Christmas. I think it's been on today. Yeah. It's one of those films that you um, that I have like a collection of films that I've never owned a physical copy of. Yeah, because they've always been on TV. I hundred percent. So, Do you know what's really like, funny? I, yeah, sorry. No, what I was going to say really funny about what you just said is the next film I have exactly that syndrome about. Um, yeah, the next one I was going to was going to pitch at you is Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> so the film I've never purchased. But I've seen no. it God knows how many times because it's always on at Christmas. Yeah. 
And I, I want to say again, I, I think this is just because I've got, like you, I've got Christmas memories tied up with it. But yes, I'd say yes, Christmas film. Kind of feels like this it, is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think most of the film takes place in summer um, when when they uh, bring him to the little township in the 50s uh, and he's yeah. cutting all the hedges, isn't he? And he's cutting the hair and stuff. Of course, I think that yeah. all takes place in the middle of summer because the kids are off from school and stuff. But yeah, feels like a Christmas film. Makes no sense. Feels like it makes no sense. I guess it's because it's a Burton film and they all have a kind of Christmas leaning for me and I don't know why. Again, probably because they're always on at Christmas. Um, I'm going to pitch I, another one at you. Oh, go for it. Every Shane Black film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all Christmas. Like, my every single Christmas is made up of watching Shane Black films. It's strange, isn't it? I actually was flicked onto, I think it was ITV or BBC the other night, and uh, Iron Man 3 was on. And yes. I'll be honest, it's probably one of those Marvel films that I've seen fewest, if that makes sense. I yeah. haven't really... I, I think I saw it at the cinema... I saw it on Blu-ray when it first came out, and that was when I was still buying Blu-rays, which I, I don't really buy anymore. But I remember watching it a couple of times, and I haven't really... It's not that film that I remember vividly, if that makes sense. And I Is wa- it because Trevor Slattery annoyed you? No, I love Trevor Slattery. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for Trevor Slattery. If anything, Trevor Slattery is my favourite thing about Shang-Chi. Yeah, um, brilliant. I, I would agree. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I liked, I liked it, and I thought it was enjoyable. But it's that thing of is that is Iron Man three a Christmas film? Because it's all about, um, you know, he's trying to fight these people that have been um, uh, mutated to be become irradiated, and he's trying to discover a plot. And it's uh, Guy Pierce, uh, you know, yeah, being being naughty. It's a good film. I do like it. I like the film a lot. Um, I like I, the quippiness of Robert Downey in Shane Black's films, and I love. Yes. And, and me and you have a very um, similar view on um, what's it called? With um, I'm going mad now. Um, kiss, kiss, bang, kiss, bang. kiss, bang, bang. Yeah, um, yes. Which, which is a personal favorite of mine because I love the two yeah. lead actors in it so much. And uh, it, it's it's lightning in a bottle. And again, is that a Christmas film? <laughs> <laughs> I say so. I watch. I watch it at Christmas. Uh, I I'd say it's a Christmas film. I love uh, that because yeah, like you say, it's it's it, it it's reliant on it being Christmas, isn't it? Because he sort of gets into trouble because he's yeah, he's he trying to steal stealing... a toy for his kid, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Robert so Downey. I think I think it's very reliant on it being Christmas. If you've not watched it, by the way, this is like the closest thing you'll get to some sort of legit film critique recommendations. Mm. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Wonderful. Yeah, film. I also think if you like Robert Downey in his Iron Man phase, um, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang came before he, he was Iron Man. Um, yeah. It was on his, his road to resurgence as an actor, wasn't it? Uh, he'd yes. done that. He'd done... Oh, what was that other film where he's... Um, where he's in the gang with the gangs. Do you know what that was called? I can't remember now. A Guide to Recognising Your Saints. Yes, Guide to Recognising Your Saints, which is also very, very good. Um, very, very good. Up until the point you're expected to believe that Shia LaBeouf would grow up to become Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I mean... <laughs> yeah, true. That's a fair point. But I... That's, the, that's, the, that's the, the, the most massive logical leap you'll ever have to make. But <laughs> if you can do that... The film itself is great, and Robert Downey Jr. is wonderful in it. Yeah, so Robert Downey obviously went off the off the rails in the late nineties, and um, yeah, really sad. And uh, again, it's not for us to talk about on here. I don't even think I want to talk about it. It's one of those things as well. If if you met Robert, 
I don't think I'd, I don't think he'd talk about it, but I don't think he'd want to because it's just a real no. stain on his career. And he's a wonderful human being and seems to be a fantastic actor and he's brilliant. But yeah, yeah. those films, those early 2000s when he was making his resurgence as an actor, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he is playing essentially Tony Stark, but it's just funny. And he ends up, he's, yeah. a, he's an actor that ends up being becoming a cop because he's, uh, isn't he shadowing a cop, isn't he, to see how a cop behaves? Yes, uh, for yeah. a role. He, he's, it's so funny. It, it's it, like the whole plot and how he gets to where he is is so convoluted, but it's handled so well. And there's lots of fourth wall breaking. It's it, it's everything that like Disney's She Hulk wanted to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really <laughs> and, and true. Just wasn't. <laughs> but no, it's it's uh, it's it's brilliant. And uh, Set at Christmas is a Christmas film. Got to watch it. Um, I, I, I've got a lot of love for for that film, as Jake knows, because I seem to bring it up every time we mention anything that's yeah. sort of Shane Black related. It's like, oh yeah, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. What's funny as well is um, I've got um two very close friends in my life, James being one of them, and my other friend being Mark, who I grew up with, and all three of us are massive fans of that movie. But it's yeah. so cult that it's like. <laughs> you almost identify on a different level with people where you go, yeah, I think that guy's a bit of a prick. Oh, he likes Kiss Kiss yeah. Bang Bang. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might, might actually like him, you know? You know what? I have two films in like the my <laughs> films that I enjoy lists yeah. that do that. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang's one of them. And if you're a fan of Labyrinth, we're friends for oh, life. Oh, man. Do you know what's so funny? Um, obviously, me and Natalie have not been very well. She's still not very well, bless her. My wife's been really ill with this virus. We um, we sat down the other night. We had tea. We tidied up. <laughs> we did that thing where you sit down on the sofa in a huff and you're like, what should we watch? Put normal telly on. Nothing. <laughs> Put Netflix on. Seen it. 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 Oh, Labyrinth. <laughs> and we watch Labyrinth. And then I, I watch it, I probably watch it twice a year, every year. Yeah. I find it yeah. incredibly brilliant and really hard to not watch. It's that thing of like, I don't know, when you feel ill and you think, I can't eat anything because I'm going to be sick. So I'm going to have some chicken soup because that'll sort me yeah. out. And you have chicken soup with a slice of bread. And and labyrinth is that in film form. When I feel low and I need something to bring me back online, I can just sit and watch labyrinth anywhere in the world, and I know I'll feel better after I've watched it. Oh, it, it's it's so smartly made. The technology behind it's really intriguing. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing. Um, obviously, I don't. I didn't go to the cinema to see it when it came out. But growing up, I remember. I think it must have been the first year it was aired on TV for mm -hmm. Christmas, and they aired it alongside like a behind the scenes and and how they made the big orange Udo character. Oh, move. So good. there's like two or three people inside him making him move. And uh, if those that don't know, there's lots of like Jim Henson puppets involved. It's very very cool. Um, and it, I got to thinking about this because that was obviously a big sort of childhood memory. Lots of times watching that at Christmas. Mm -hmm. I think you and I have said it a couple of times just in general about films recently in comparison to some of the classics that we've been reviewing. 
that it seems like we've forgotten how to make films. Oh, or, yeah. Like, I, I, as a as a generation, we've we've lost track of what makes a good film a good film, and I think that's also true of like we've forgotten how to make family films. Yeah. Like any, <clears throat> any generation, whatever you are, you can go into Labyrinth and enjoy something in there. Yeah. There's something for everybody, um, and then it's it's a poor example because it's not a great film in its own right, as far as I can tell. But Thor, Love and Thunder ostensibly is a family film. Yeah. They, you know, Disney, pretty family friendly. The Mouse House, love everyone to go and watch their films, yeah. mainly because if you have parents and kids there, that's a lot more ticket mm-hmm. sales. So, um, <laughs> but to do that, you need to have a film that will capture both sets of people. Yeah. And... I, I can guarantee that anyone could go in and watch Labyrinth on a big screen and really enjoy it. You go and watch something like Thor, Love and Thunder, and you've got a fat Russell Crowe yeah. making orgy jokes. Yeah, it's not as good. Now, it's just not, not I, there. Yeah, exactly. It's not there. Yeah. I, I don't have children myself, but I'm fairly certain yeah. I wouldn't want my kids halfway through a movie going, Dad, what's an orgy? Yeah. And why aren't they invited to it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, just, I totally agree. I, I yeah, I think that's a big problem with with Hollywood in general. In that we're rehashing ideas, we are. <clears throat> it, it seems to be like the lowest common denominator, like you said, in terms of what sells. Well, we know that everyone likes the Lion King. You go, okay, Lion King, that was good in the nineties. It's still got a cult following. Yeah. You're like, no, no, not a cult following. Like people literally will buy the toys. You're like, okay, yeah. the toys are selling still. That's fine. People like Simba. So should we do like an anniversary thing or what? Then it's like no, 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 no. Get John Favreau in. Let's remake it in live action. You're like, yeah, but mm, yeah. But we're gonna need a new voice cast. Who's gonna play Mufasa? We've already rang James Earl Jones. He said he's gonna do it again. Yeah, but <clears throat> if he does it again, like, is that not like sort of treading on the legacy? Don't worry about it. It's gonna be fine. But is Rowan Atkinson gonna do Zazu? And you go, Rowan said no, but we're pretty sure we'll find someone better. And you're like why why are we doing this why are we even having yeah. this conversation why are you remaking the lion king it doesn't need remaking and i, I no. think i don't know who it was i think it was mark kermode who does five live he said there's yeah. a big thing where you never get shit films being remade for better films and he's right like if you yeah. ever remake a movie you should be remaking shit movies to make them better you and the perfect example of this i think it came out of the conversation about dune which came out last year Dune yeah. is a Hollywood movie directed by Denis Villeneuve. It's brilliant. I mean, it is Oscar-worthy fantastic, isn't it? You've seen it. Yeah. like it's, it's amazing. It's a proper sci-fi romp, and it's a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. And it's based off of a book, which is also brilliant. And the film came out in the, was it in the late 80s, early 90s about Dune, which was pretty much... Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was very beautifully made. It was a David Lynch film. Um, but it's crap. I mean, you go watch it. It's it's not yeah. Star Wars, and it would never be Star Wars, and it was trying to be Star Wars. Um, and that was really sad, and I remember thinking, like, oh, God, yeah, that's that's the guy you need. You need someone like Denis Villeneuve make, remaking the shit films and making them epic. Um, yeah. But, but no, we're going to remake Lion King. And like you said, you can literally talk now about how amazing Labyrinth is they'll probably go back and make for Labyrinth again. And it'll be rubbish because they, yeah. they've forgotten what made Labyrinth special. It was Jim Henson. Terry Jones wrote the screenplay for fuck's sake. 
yeah. Bowie wrote the music, um, and it was brilliant. Everything about it's brilliant, and it's yeah. lightning in a bottle. And it's the same reason that, like me and you, tried to explain to to friends and family members that we know. The reason that the the, the new Star Wars trilogy sort of flopped was because it was completely devoid of everything that made Star Wars special in the first place. And the people that actually made Star Wars, I mean, Kathleen Kelly was there, a lot of the producers that knew George, and George Lucas wasn't really involved in it, but he, you know, he had an inkling about what they were going to do with it. And they'd just gone with the safest possible story. So the script was Absolutely. bland. <clears throat> In the third, ver- in the third, we always go back to Star Wars because it's so easy. But in the third yeah. one, they went, "We don't have a third one. Bring the Emperor back, and we'll get him to be the bad guy." And you go, "But, we, but yeah. what? Why?" <clears throat> and yeah. it's never explained. Why? And they just do no. that because that is going to sell toys. It's going to sell tickets. It's going to sell, 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 sell. And then when you turn around and go, "But was the movie actually any good?" They go, "Looked all right." <laughs> Yeah, looks looks fantastic. And that's the thing looks. where you completely forget what you got into filmmaking for in the first place. Surely it shouldn't be about that. I mean, that's great yeah. when that happens. It's great, but, but that should be the last thing you get. You know, should, the money shouldn't really be the thing that dictates it, and unfortunately it does now, so that's just the yeah. way it is. It is. And Star Wars, like I say, it's such a perfect example of so many of the problems because even beyond that trilogy, all the stuff they've done on on Disney Plus, everything. it You can tell they've got the wrong end of the stick because mm-hmm. on all the interviews you see with people at Lucasfilm at the moment, they talk about wanting to tell stories that go beyond the Jedi. You know, We want to move the story and explore other areas of this fantastic galaxy. It's like, no, Star Wars fans are fans of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, lightsabers. They, 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 they want lightsabers. lightsabers. We want our laser swords. We want them to go zoom. We like that. That's what your audience enjoys. Mm-hmm. I agree. And they, they, they totally are okay on board with other parts of that story being told, but making whole shows that don't involve any Jedi at all, it, all of a sudden it's not Star Wars anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they, don't, <laughs> they don't seem to, to get that. That's... It, it's... A complete sort of misunderstanding yeah. of what people are into your thing for, uh, and they seem to be repeating that across all different genres at the moment. It's like we know this is big because of this reason, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at this shiny object that attracts us over here and hope that people join us in looking at this shiny object. Yeah, and and it just it, it never seems to to join up in any meaningful no. way. You, and yes. Jerry, what you ha- you hit the nail on the head there with, with what you were saying. And I think a big thing that I realised, I think you and me have spoken about this on the podcast before as well, is that these days, the 2020s, we're having premieres for trailers. And and the yeah. trailers are almost made. And I, I, I get excited about trailers. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't, right? But... But the premiere shouldn't be the trailer. The trailer should be the thing that... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just yeah. find that it's, it's like me announcing a banquet and I'm announcing the, the fucking soup as this amazing thing. Like, look at the soup. There it goes. Look at the soup. And it's like, if you have to work that hard to sell the soup, what's for mains? And then I'm, obviously, because you got me so hyped for the soup, 
the mains are yeah. never going to be as good because I already feel like you've oversold the soup. And that's what it is. That's what they're doing in Hollywood. That's that's the film industry in a nutshell now is they're just overselling all the time. And you're like, I, I don't understand why I... I mean, I like that trailer. That's good. Some trailers are terrible. Most trailers, as you said before, they give five plot points out and they'll either yeah. do it deliberately to mislead an audience, in which case they'll actually show footage that isn't in a movie at all, or yeah. they'll show too much of the movie, and then you already know that the character's got a, a, a brother in it, and the brother's going to be the bad guy at the end, and the bad guy's related to this, and this thing's in it because you know about that, and it's like, oh, well, I, I don't feel like I need to see this now. Like, I, I don't. What, what is there to look forward to? Um, what was the example of that? It was uh, one of the Marvel films recently did it, didn't they? Um, the Spider-Man one. Yeah. They um, had the new Spider-Man film, which was um, it was going to bring in characters from other universes into our Spider-Man's universe, and he was going to have to fight them. And that was heavily circulated on the internet that fans were like, they're going to have these guys from the old films, they're going to be in this film, and it's going to be that they've like broken through the cracks in reality. And you go, oh, that's really cool. I can't wait to see that. It's like, no, they're all in the trailer. They're, they're all yeah. in the trailer. So, and I'm like, yeah, but there must be a couple of them that aren't in the trailer that we're going to see when the movie comes. No, 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 no. No, they're all in the no. trailer. Everyone's in the trailer. The only thing they managed to keep out of the trailer was the fact that the other two Spider-Men were in it. Um, yeah. But apparently that was cracked on the internet by some nerds who, who retro-framed some of the footage in the trailer to see that there were shots edited where two Spider-Men had been taken out of the trailer. You're like, yeah. what the fuck? What is all this? Why are we doing this? So you've ruined the film for me. And it's like, I don't know. I just feel disheartened by it. I don't know about you. I just feel like, meh. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, I wonder if there would be a... a um, th let's say we're at Santa's Grotto now. I'm going to bring it back on theme. Yeah, sorry, James. And we, Thank we, you for that. We're, we're, we're <laughs> going to go to Santa's Grotto. It, it's, it is linked. And Santa will ask us what we want. And... I wonder if there is a movie studio out there brave enough to not do a trailer, just do like a, however long a trailer would be, 30 seconds, whatever, just of that movie's logo, mm. just the title. And just do that with a soundtrack at the back. Not ever show us anything. Don't show, don't show me anything about the film. Give me the title. I wonder if there is a, if there was one studio just brave enough to do that for one film, how much traction that would get? Yeah. Like how how many people would go? Because imagine if you were a moviegoer and you went to see Predator in the cinema. Yeah. And and the the trailer for Predator hadn't spoiled anything. You had no idea what you were going in hmm, for. Terminator. Terminator is the same. The first Terminator is like that. You yeah. don't really know what he is or what he's doing. And it would have been, it would be so cool, I think. And I don't think that would get past some of the other problems. Like I say, with with some of so many of the films that have come out, the, um, again on a Christmas theme note, a Warner family tradition tends to be we'll we'll get together and Christmas Eve we'll, or or sometime just before Christmas we'll go to the cinema and we'll watch that year's Christmas blockbuster. Mm -hmm. it used to be like there was a Marvel or a Star Wars film. Yeah, or Lord of the Rings. That was the, the Lord back of the in Rings. the day. Yeah, <coughs> so we, we, we'd go and we'd watch that. We stopped doing it. And it's because we've been disappointed. Yeah. On 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 so many occasions we've gone to films and 
it's it's either not been a fantastically entertaining film or we've seen most of it in a trailer. And and my you know family aren't massive film buffs like you and I. You know they're not yeah. people who will read into stuff, but they've seen the trailers on the telly or they've heard it on the radio, and they you know that so much of that plot has been spoiled. Mm. And you get the you get the impression that everything now is very much a cash grab. Yeah, and that there aren't that many films that are made with the the level of love that say a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang film was made or. A, a labyrinth film or you know those films are labors of love yeah that are you know dream projects for people we get projects now uh, uh taika watiti talented as he is you can tell in many of his interviews about fall of and thunder that he wasn't all that interested in the project yeah. he didn't even read any comics you know he didn't he, he thought the comics were too serious and and not interesting enough and then we get this light-hearted comedy romp through space during a phase that's meant to be about dealing with half of humanity being yeah. erased. Yeah. You know, uh, and it just doesn't fit and it doesn't feel right and it doesn't, nothing feels earned. Yeah, and yeah that's, the, that is the, a big word what you just used there, which is earned. Um, yeah. Movies need to earn their audience's respect. And... A lot of movies don't do that now. We would, me, me and my wife and my brother um, in our family in particular are very big fans of Back to the Future, uh, of that trilogy. Yes. And if anyone knows about this, um, we and James obviously have done it on the podcast already. Back to the Future's rights still belong to the filmmaker Robert Zemeckis and yes. uh, Universal, the distributor. And Zemeckis has said um, that he will never sell them to Universal or any studio and they can go fuck themselves. And they, yeah. they're like, well, Robert Zemeckis is quite old. You know, he's yeah, he's cracking on a bit. He probably will retire soon. And when he retires, he might. And he's like, nope. Like, yeah, but he retire. He'll die, won't he? Like, he'll die and then you know, he'll get the rights. And like, when I die, the rights are going to my son. And I've told my son under no circumstance for no money imaginable amount of cash that Universal or Fox or, I don't know, Disney or whatever can offer him. Do yeah. you sell these rights? <laughs> and I have so much respect for Bob Zemeckis for making that decision to not it's... tarnish what has been possibly one of the greatest trilogies ever made in the 80s in Back to the Future yeah. 1, 2 and 3 and not letting them piss all over that legacy. And it's mad, isn't it? It's mad that they have to take out this like almost injunction against studios pillaging the rights or daring to push the rights as far as they can before they have to get sued for using the DeLorean or using a reference that they're not allowed to use because people are pushing the Back to the Future rights all the time to the edge. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you're not having it. <laughs> you you see you, you see what spurs that, that belief on, though, because uh, uh, of all the remakes that we're getting, I, I, I've personally not watched it because I don't, I don't want to encourage it to happen, but I've read and watched a few reviews of Disney's Pinocchio remake. Mm. And the one I watched was brilliant because I, and I forget the YouTube creator that did it, but they, they, they did an amazing sort of breakdown of why it didn't work <clears throat> and why it wasn't a remake of the film. It was just a, it was just another Pinocchio story, but it didn't have any of the, the weight or the charm of the original mm. because in the original Pinocchio does stuff, he goes to the circus, he smokes a cigar, he does things that are blatantly wrong and gets punished for them. 
Now, modern day Pinocchio, Disney's Pinocchio, uh, live action type Pinocchio, Pinocchio doesn't do things that are wrong. He gets pulled along for the ride and he looks horrified at everything that's happened yeah, to I've him. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, you're right. And, and his... There's, there isn't a you know coming-of-age story there. There isn't someone who's realising the, the, the good from the bad. He's already aware of good and bad, and he, he's being dragged along. So he, when things happen to him, it seems unfair because <laughs> he hasn't done something wrong. Yeah. But the original story was, you know, in, in the Disney version anyway, that he had done something wrong and he needed to be punished. Yeah. It was the very, to, uh, very Christian that. way of looking at the world and repenting on your sins type thing. Yeah. I agree. And if you take I, yeah, that it's away, weird. it just doesn't work. No. It just doesn't work as a story. So uh, if they were to do that, same, take that same principle and, and look at, say, Back to the Future, they would do the time travel stuff because that's what people expect, but they'd do it so inanely wrong that you'd end up with, and this is just me imagining a Disney-fied Back to the Future here. <laughs> they they wouldn't they wouldn't have Marty McFly make mistakes. Uh, let's be fair; it probably wouldn't be Marty McFly. Uh, it, it, it would probably be Martha McFly. It, you know, it it wouldn't be. <laughs> it would definitely. It would, yeah, it would. <laughs> but and they, and that character would be perfect, and they would they would just end up thrust into the into the past by accident yeah. because uh, of someone else's mistakes and they they, they would they would they would know exactly how to get back they mm. wouldn't need doc's help they just um, have a good idea on how to do it's it it's race syndrome so, isn't it we call it race syndrome yeah. from star wars again it it's the yeah. perfect character who can do no wrong um yeah, and who is and, is basically it, being dragged along for the ride but she's already been ordained with the knowledge the wisdom and the powers that the that the the legendary hero needs, but the hero's journey, yes. like you say, bears no consequence because the character can do no wrong, yeah. and it makes for a very flat, boring character arc. Well, there's no character arc, is there? Essentially, it's just you start perfect, you end up perfect. That's it. And, and yeah, yeah, I I agree, James. I think there's a big thing to be made about this. It's happening a lot in modern movies. Where we're not allowing our, I I think Christopher Nolan, the uh, British filmmaker, said it's it's that thing of going uh, an audience isn't intelligent enough to understand that level, and he goes, I think you underestimate your audiences. They're the same audience yeah. as they've always been. The new audience is almost more informed because they have more access to information than any generation before them. So you yeah. are ignorant. To think that that generation is not informed about the kind of decisions they're making, about the kind of media they're consuming, and about the kind of movies they're watching, um, you need to get off. Like, you need to really understand the modern day child. Um, they are very switched on, and it's a different way, isn't it? It's a different thing entirely. Like me and you were from the generation that were born with the internet. It was in its infancy, but we still had it. Um, yeah. My dad was quite ahead of the curve on that, and he, he, you know, my brother and my dad, when we were growing up, got um, a dial-up connection in the mid '90s, which was pretty radical. I think we were like the first people on our block and our street to have dial-up connection. Um, yeah, and we had a little AOL thing set up, and then me and my brother, uh, <laughs> you've got mail. yeah, yeah, you've got mail. Me and my brother built a PC when we were kids, and my brother put Linux on it, and these are things that you, you know, again. 
generations past and generations forward won't get what I'm talking about, but we know what that is because that's what we were grew up with. But we were informed. Yeah. We knew what we wanted. I knew I wanted a Game Boy Color with a Mario cartridge, and I wanted Super Bomberman, and I wanted Zelda. Um, yeah. because it was cool and I'd seen it and I wanted it and I, I was informed and I liked the journey of Zelda. Do you know, and it's like, you, do you really think that kids don't know what their own preferences are? Of course they do. They've always known. They've always known. You, my grandmother said to known. me, I said, I asked my grandma again, I'm going completely on a tangent, but my grandma said when she was growing up in the war, um, during the Blitz, and I said, it must've yeah. been terrifying, you know, growing up in the Blitz with the bombers flying over every night. She says, no, it was brilliant. And she says, as insensitive as that sounds, she says, you know, we had a couple of hits on our street in Nottingham. She said they destroyed the house down from mine. She had two doors down. The house was leveled by a by a bomb, by a Luftwaffe bomb. She goes, the next day, me and the kids are playing uh, Cowboys and Indians on the rubble. And she yeah. says she remembers doing that. And she's like, we didn't care. <laughs> like We no. didn't understand that someone had been killed that night um, because that's too that's too adult. We don't want yeah. to know that. We don't want to know that someone was killed during the blast. All we want to know is we've got a new place to play. And and that, for me, really summed up the child's mind from 1944, you know, 1945 to, to 2022. Kids are still making some of the decisions. It's not that yeah. different. And I think we just insult their intelligence. I think we do. And I think what, unfortunately, what happens is we, we now, as, as cinema goers... Uh, and this is my. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it back on top again. Look at this. This is unplanned. Oh, mate, but this is I, so good I, because this is so unplanned. And I wish everybody that's listening knows how unplanned this is. But you're bringing it back after all this. I, I love it. <laughs> the, the, I am now putting myself because obviously we've been to Santa's Grotto. We've asked Santa for what we wanted. Yeah. I'm now the the ghost of Christmas future, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what what worries me if things don't change. If if Christmas, you know, if 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 our Christmas wishes aren't aren't granted, if the if the movie studios don't listen now to the, what their audiences are telling them, I think in droves with like the success of say Top Gun, the ghost of Christmas future is here to say, people will feel what they don't understand about cinema if they're not aware of the you know comings and goings of movie studios, if they're not aware of some of the political messages that are being thrown in there they'll feel them and they'll feel the lack of uh, genuine storytelling and they won't think i don't like these political messages or i don't like this lack of warmth i don't like this cash grab they'll think i don't like movies mm -hmm. i don't like films i'm not going to watch anymore because the ones i've watched have been disappointing and i don't want to go and i'm worried that'll happen and that that will happen more and more to the point where we won't get films we won't get the adventurous films that take risks mm -hmm. We, we we hardly get them now. Yeah. So if if things don't change, the thing that I love about cinema will just disappear, and and that 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 does worry me. You know, from a you know a, a point of view of someone who who wants to go and enjoy a good film, and I don't want it to necessarily have to be linked to about thirty other projects that I have to get involved in. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily care whether your film has a political <laughs> message as long as it's done organically you know as long as it makes sense to the film yeah i think fine all power to you you know art is for communicating those kind of messages but it's for communicating those messages it's not for sort of bludgeoning someone over the head when they go to the cinema because 
they're the wrong gender or you know they're 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 the gender that supposedly is is responsible for all the problems i I think if we can make films both fun entertaining and informative that's great but we're not doing the fun or the entertaining bit at the moment and that that doesn't feel good and like i say my my worry is people aren't gonna see what the cause of that feeling is they because people you can tell what with the success of say top gun Maverick um, this year versus some of the big box office flops Mm. there's a huge difference in the amount of love and attention that went into one side of that argument (laughs) and then and then the the massive sort of churn of films that to the point where the movie industry is becoming more and more closely linked to say what happens in uh, gaming now, when games are released, effectively unfinished, mm. and they're they're patched with updates and updates yeah. and updates, and eventually, in a year or two's time, it might be a, the game you were advertised, but it's not when you buy it, and it's the same with films. They make a trailer before they've even finished editing the film, which is un- understandable, but often the the very last trailer just before the film's released is still done before the film's finished some of these films are are not edited and put together until they're days weeks away from being out in the cinema and everything feels rushed and hurried and uh, doctor strange for example from everything i've read was yeah. written <laughs> almost on the fly yeah um and and that's why the a lot of these films feel aimless and it may seem like we're, I'm picking heavily on Disney products and projects, but it's because Disney have taken it upon themselves to buy out most <laughs> studios yeah. that make that make these big films, and it seems like they buy these studios in and just make them follow the same formula as everything else, and we end up with almost identical products. You, you could. You could swap out characters from these films, and it would almost make no difference. Even if, even if they're not in the same universe, you know, you, I can imagine them throwing Indiana Jones into a Marvel property, or vice versa, and it it almost would make no sense, and it wouldn't matter to them. And and I think that's sadly where we're heading. Yeah. If we don't, if if they can't veer off that, so if 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 the movie studios in this scenario are Scrooge. I'm just trying to tell them, please, <laughs> you've still got time. It's not yet Christmas Day. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> you message. You can change. <laughs> I remember. You can change. <laughs> I think me and you were talking about how um, <laughs> our studios do really silly things for the sake of what they think is what the audience wants, but what they haven't really yeah. considered is how intelligent their audience is. And um, I think a great example of that was in the um, the new Harry Potter films. They did the, the Fantastic Beast films with Eddie yeah. Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne's phenomenal, and I will take nothing away from that man. And I think all the Fantastic Beast films he's in, as him as a character and as an actor, he's unbelievably good. He's so talented, yes. and I love him dearly. But there's a big but those movies kind of (laughs) suck because they don't really have a through narrative like you said it seems like we'll just show up and film a few things and we'll piece it together later and oh look there's hogwarts and oh look there's the snake that voldemort had in the last film what the fuck is that and oh look there's the thing from the thing from the first thing from the thing and you're like 
I don't understand what I'm watching. Am I just watching a bunch of cameos? Am I watching a movie or am I just watching a property? And like you said earlier, is it yeah. just about we've got the property, Harry Potter? Yeah. Here's the property displayed in, you know, 30, 35 frames, 25 frames a second. Uh, and, and then there's a few things in it. And, and I remember in one of those um, Harry Potter films, I can't remember which one it was. This is how bad my memory is of them. Um, they they show um, they show the Nicholas Flamel, uh, who's the man who makes the Philosopher's Stone, who's not seen but is heavily mentioned in the first Harry Potter film and book, and yeah. he's in the film as an old man, and he opens a safe and in the safe he grabs something and behind the thing he grabs is the red stone and you go oh look it's the Philosopher's Stone, and I remember when I watched the movie I literally went like you said earlier I went. Oh look, there's the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, <laughs> and there's another <laughs> bit in um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where Indy's yes. being chased by Russians, and they smash through a crate of wood, a wooden crate, and the camera pans across, and inside the crate is the Ark of the Covenant, and yeah. then it cuts, and it's just a little quick thing, and you go, oh look, it's the Ark. Yeah. Next. <laughs> and and Next. you just like, they, they used to be called Easter eggs, didn't they? They used to be like, did you notice yeah. the Easter egg in the movie? Because fan, hardcore fans could look for them. But now, because the hardcore fans are kind of the guys making the movies, they just become a thing that doesn't make any sense to the context of the movie. And, I'll, and yeah. I'm going to use Indiana Jones as a great example. It's because they did that in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. In in the in the third Indiana Jones film, they literally show uh, Indy's going to find a, a crypt with um, Elsa Schneider, the Doctor, and you know in the Last Crusade when they're trying to find yes. the, the Knight's tomb, and they go down a tunnel, and on the wall are all different like biblical paintings, and on one of the biblical paintings is the Ark, and there's loads of people yeah. praying to it. And she goes, "What's this one?" And he goes, "The Ark of the Covenant." And she goes, "How do you know that?" And he's like, "I'm pretty sure." <laughs> Because <laughs> you're like, that's good. That's clever because A, it's relevant to the scene that they're in and B, it's funny. It's an Easter egg. It's the thing. He's, yeah. he's found that thing in the last movie. Yeah, great. That's a good thing. And I just think that that you can just use those two or three examples of like Easter egg cameos and you go, why is that one good and why is that one shit? <laughs> well, this is why. Yeah. Because you didn't earn it. And you also didn't need it. It wasn't relevant to the plot. You just thought, I'll just bang that in there. And, yeah, and, that, and again, that'll get the nostalgia juices yeah, flowing. Yeah, audiences that, are uh, smart enough to know that that means nothing. That audiences don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Marvel, again, are good with that in some ways, and they're bad with it in other ways. But um, you don't need it. It's irrelevant to the, to the plot. Unless it serves some purpose yeah. later, you don't need it in there. Um, and I remember, yeah, again, Marvel. I remember Natalie, we watched the last Spider-Man film. And at the end of the movie, Parker has the little um, little Lego figure of the Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. And he yeah. picks it out of a box, laughs, and puts it on his shelf. And then the camera zooms into it at the end when he goes to see his friends. And she's like, what's that about? And I'm like, oh, see, that's a really good little thing because in the first one of his trilogy, him and his nerdy friend at school are building the Lego Death Star, aren't they? And yeah. he introduces himself by going, I am building a Lego Death Star. And he's got the little figure. And I was like, that's a great callback to something that was years yeah. ago and has relevance to the character. And because the character's sad, 
he picks it up and looks at it and laughs. And I'm like, that's good. That's a good example. Um, yeah, that but works. why are so uh, many it... people doing the bad example? I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, it, it's 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 um again it, it's those those different schools of of writing something. It seems a lot of m- more modern films follow the school of and then, and and they never do a because. And the because used to be a good way of writing. So so and so walks into a room because. Mm. Now it's so and so walks into a room and then such and such happens and then this happens and then this happens, and then there's another a newer school, of of even dare I say hackier writers who are now changing the because to because remember. So they, <laughs> yeah. So they'll they'll so and so goes into a room and there's this thing from the other film because remember. And it's 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 trying to get you to associate their less impressive property yeah. with one that you did enjoy. Uh, so you, you tie your memories together. So you, you go and see, say, the new Lion King and James Earl Jones is doing the voice. And you go, oh, that's great. It's James Earl Jones. I like this. That must mean I like this film. But then... You leave the cinema and it's kind of like you've had some sort of fast food that yeah. tasted nice at the time. But it didn't, it didn't fill you up. It didn't fill you up, didn't leave you with any impressions, uh, uh, positive ones anyway. And then, like I say, that, that poisons the well. Oh, if you, if you do that often enough, people start to think, well, maybe I don't like this. Maybe I don't like James Earl Jones. You should, because he's amazing. Mm. But if you if you start to associate him with things that didn't make you feel great that's not good and uh, <coughs> we've spoken about this recently tarantino said that uh, in some ways disney uh, properties have killed the, the the film star because it's not chris hemsworth who's famous it's thor who's mm-hmm. famous um and it's you know it's not necessarily robert downey jr it's tony stark and iron man I, there are people who still call robert downey jr tony stark you know, and when they're discussing those films, they don't talk about the actor. And you don't get that, say, with a Bruce Willis film or an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. I I reckon you you could ask anybody on the street to name Arnie's character in Predator. They probably wouldn't know. Hang on, I'm going to Google it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Have I have I just found the man in the street who doesn't know <laughs> what Arnie's character's called? Oh, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, I've completely drawn a blank. Um, I know he's. Uh, oh God! I'm not even going to help you now. This is going oh, in. This is gold. Because Shane Shane Black plays Hawkins. That's all I ever remember. Shane Black's in Predator. Um, he is. Oh, Arnold. You know that Arnold plays a guy called Dutch. <laughs> Yes, he does. And I did he not. Plays Dutch. I did not know that was his name. No, I did oh, not. Oh, that's know. great. Well, that that's that's proven my point. Alan Thank Dutch you. Schaefer. Yep. So Dutch is not famous. Arnie is. So th- this was me just riffing off something that I'd heard Tarantino saying, though, and it it did get me thinking. And it, it's absolutely right. You and you can see it, it happening in real time. I didn't watch and I didn't I didn't go to see I didn't search out Robert Downey Jr's Doolittle film because I'd heard some things that wasn't great and I didn't go out of my way to watch it and I was like well he's not 
Iron Man in this, so I'm not that interested at the time. It was on telly the other week, and I watched it. You know what? Not a bad film. Should have given it yeah. more time, and I didn't. And to a lesser extent, you can say the same of Chris Hemsworth's Men in Black reboot type, soft reboot, whatever it was. Yeah, it was a spin-off. <clears throat> it was a spin-off. People didn't go and see it because he didn't have the same draw that, say, Arnie had when he mm. was releasing film after film after film. People would go and see an Arnie film because Arnie was yeah. in it, or Stallone, or uh, Bruce Willis. They, they, they were the star, and they, they had the draw. And again, going full circle, probably the last big personality like that that has that pull Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's still got it, hasn't he? Because evidently, people didn't go and see Top Gun because they knew it was going to be a good movie. Yeah. They just knew that Tom Cruise was doing it again. Yeah. And this is the same with the Mission Impossible films. It's the same with Top Gun. Sorry, it's anything that Tom does that you, you would automatically go, well, it's got Tom attached to it, so it's going to have a certain level of quality associated with it. And that's not yeah. always true. I'm not saying that's true for all of Tom Cruise's movies, but no. But there is definitely that to be said that that you attach a certain, like you say, a sentimental value to the fact that Tom Cruise is in those films. And I can't remember every Tom yeah. Cruise character. Um, but, sorry, no, go on. I, I think the the only other sort of modern day star that I can think of that has a similar effect for me, anyway, is someone like say uh, Emily Blunt. Mm. Yeah, she's brilliant. I I go and watch films that Emily Blunt's in because of how good she's been in other films. And, and I don't necessarily remember her characters' names. I remember the, the performances, yeah. and I remember that I enjoyed myself. Um, and it, because the films aren't yeah. about the character, we're, we're sort of along for the ride with the character, but the films generally aren't about hitting you over the head with who this character is. Right, I'm going to give you one to end on, because uh, we've gone quite a long time with our ad-libbed episode of Christmas Special. Uh, one of my favourite Christmas films, James, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will agree, uh, is Jingle All The Way, <laughs> which yes. is a fantastic Arnie blockbuster uh, from the 90s. Yes, it is. Um, I had a little bit of a riff and a laugh with my our mutual friend, Ben, about the names that they give Arnie in American movies, <laughs> being that he's a six foot four uh, Austrian. And it is funny. So I, I'm going to give you the film. So the film is Jingle All The Way. There are three names to choose from <laughs> to tell me <laughs> which which name the character was in the film. This is how I'd live this was. I came up with this within two minutes. So the film's Jingle All The Way. Yeah. And the character is one of three American names. And I'm going to give them to you now. Um, <clears throat> he's the Dak actor, obviously. Yeah, Jack Slater. Okay. Adam Gibson. Right. Howard Langston. Yeah, yeah. Jack Slater Who... sounds really American and like a, a right. A, yeah, <laughs> a square-jawed American <laughs> everyday hero. So these are all Arnie characters from different films. I need you to tell me which one is the Jingle All the Way character. <laughs> I'm now trying to remember. Is have I got it wrong? Jack Slater. That, Do you want to tell you them again? Should I tell you them again? Yeah. Tell them again. Right. I've got them all right. Go um, ahead. Go. Jack Slater. Adam Gibson. Yeah. Howard Langston. Who is the character in Jingle All the Way? Sweet. So, I'm. I'm guessing. I, I wanted mm -hmm. to say Jack Slater, but I'm guessing is he is is he Arnie's character <laughs> from the film Eraser? Is that where I'm remembering? No, no, okay. no. I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you at the end. Yeah. 
but um, can you guess it based on those? You're saying Jack Slater, or you're not? I'm saying, saying Jack, Jack Slater. Slater. I'm, 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 I'm putting. You're committing. I'm putting a pin in Jack Slater. Okay, I can tell you that the Arnie character in Jingle All the Way is called Howard Langston. <laughs> <laughs> It's the third one. Oh, uh, no. Jack Slater. <laughs> Jack Slater was his name in The Last Action Hero. Right. And uh, Adam Gibson was his name in The Sixth Day. Ah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I scuppered you there, didn't yeah. I? Wow. Because, yeah, none of them sound like they're the names of a giant <laughs> Austrian. <laughs> good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. Anyway... That's that. That's the Christmas special. I hope everyone enjoyed it. There's a little quiz at the end as well. Like not that. bad, eh? So, you know, we, we, we bookended it. We did Christmas, not Christmas, and we did Arnie or not Arnie. <laughs> yeah, we did. I, I like Because that. we didn't know what his characters were called <laughs> in any of his movies. Oh, God. Anyway, I hope everybody listening has an exceptionally Merry Christmas. Indeed. And a Happy New Year from both me and James, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. And uh, thanks for being on this weird ride with us, intermittent as it may be. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.